Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News preview show. We have five bumper matches coming to you in this podcast with each of the French five teams plying their trade across Europe coming up. Marseille had the chance to regain some respect and get their first points on the board as they hosted Olympiacos at the Velodrome. Rennes were away to cold, cold Russia as they face Krasnodar, hoping to creak open their chances of qualifying for the Europa League group stage. Knockout stage, that is. Lille needed just a point as they welcomed Sparta Praha to the Stade Pierre Malois, and Nice were at home to Bayer Leverkusen as they hoped to try and bring a smile to the faces of their fans following a rather turgid run of form. However, there is no other place to start this episode than the game that all those interested in French football were watching this week. Pierre-Paul Birmingham, who I have with me tonight, you know, I'm going to give you a minute to talk about this massive game, you know, involving an English team and, and a lot of French people were interested in it. One that was just <laughs> capturing all the headlines this week that everyone was talking about, you know, could the team get a win? How would it happen? So talk to me about Olivier Giroud scoring four goals in midweek. <laughs> How do I build off of that glorious introduction to such a glorious glorious footballer. I feel like he's he is I mean, I'm not French but I feel like he's like the, the French son right now just because of everything that's happened with Chelsea and I'm not getting game time and then finally turning up and absolutely spanking goals for fun. I mean it's unsurprising he's been scoring every time he gets uh, a chance to play with Chelsea we've kind of had that talk um, I, we had it a couple of weeks ago on the GFN show and you know, he had a very good end of the last season. And uh, this was a very special night for him, scoring four goals, which uh, I I saw a stat go by. I think he did that in Ligue 2 once in 2009. So, you know, it's not uncharted waters for him just yet. He also beat a record from Cristiano Ronaldo, which doesn't happen every day, uh, becoming the oldest player to score a hat-trick in the Champions League. And to me... He it he he it feels a bit like you know he's uh, you know those kind of like martial art martial artists who even when they get old uh, they just stay at their level and they you know every move they do is perfect right they they don't make mistakes anymore they've just mastered the art I think Jihu is like that at this point mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, he's so so good at what he does and you know maybe if we all wish he were playing more, but maybe if he were playing more, he wouldn't be as efficient. Um, you know, I, he, we probably couldn't see him starting every game for Chelsea and keeping this kind of level. Um, but he definitely deserves a little bit more than what he's getting. And uh, I am not looking forward to seeing Timo Werner starting for Chelsea <laughs> over the weekend. <laughs> Which will just be the inevitable result, as of course, <laughs> yeah. you know, 34 years old now, he needs to just be, you know, he's like your fine wine, isn't he? There's your cliche, you know, <laughs> you just you crack him out every now and then, but then when he does come out, he's an absolute showstopper. Um, okay, as, mu- as much as I... He's a bit like Zlatan, <laughs> but just a little bit more modest, you know? Yeah. yeah. How old Zlatan now, 39? Yeah, still got a way to go for Giroud, but uh, he can do it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see him at World Cup 2026. Go remember, Ibra scored more goals since turning 30 professionally than they did in the years before turning 30. So if Giroud can kind of keep up that trend, he might, he might be on to a, to a similar start. Yeah. Um, okay, as, as much as I was joking earlier, the big match that everyone was actually watching was at Old Trafford, where Paddy Saint-Germain travelled to on Wednesday, and they left with all three points. Manchester United 1, PSG 3. Neymar opened the scoring after just six minutes, but was cancelled out half an hour later as Marcus Rashford's deflected shot went off Daniel Pereira and crawled over the line. However, 60% of the possession in the second half brought with it two goals as the two Brazilians, Marquinhos and Neymar, again, got the decisive strikes for the away side. I'd also have Thomas Wiseman on with me tonight. But Pierre-Paul, what a result for PSG, both in terms of the group, but also their reputation, you know, because they did lose to United earlier on in the European campaign. And I feel they had something to prove in this game going away to Manchester. Are you asking me? 
Yes, wee wee wee, Pierre Paul. I told you oh. don't have any errors. We're about five minutes in. I've already got something to cut. <laughs> you don't have to cut this. It's fine. I think it's a little <laughs> bit rude. Thomas, you're from Manchester, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Don't spot my United, of course. The reason okay. I went... I'll, okay, let's go behind the curtain then. This is a fantastic start to it, by the way. The reason I went with Pierre Paul, firstly, no no offence, Thomas Wiseman, no. is because Pierre Paul's not been out by DMs this whole week. He asked me specifically last week if he could come on the show just because of this game. Okay, that's so I thought, true. You know, so I thought I'll give him his, you know, I'll give him the, the <laughs> stage, I'll give him the show time. He wants to get on, you know, he's not he's not on the podcast so often these days, he's making millions of dollars in different businesses. I thought he'll come in and, and kind of share his expertise with him, but apparently he doesn't want that opportunity, well, Thomas. Maybe, you, you, maybe, I'll put the, <laughs> maybe I'll put the question on to you, Thomas. What a result for PSG that was. <laughs> yeah, it was. And uh, what do you think about it, Pierre Paul? <laughs> well, thank you, Thomas. Um well, I think Lewis is overselling my career, first of all. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> just just to get the full story, Lewis did ask me on last week. And I was like, ah, it'll be difficult. But I can do this week if you want. And he did ask me back. So there we go. There we go. Yes. Uh, but yeah, if if we want to say something about PSG, I guess, yeah, uh, definitely a very good result. Um, another win at Old Trafford for them. Not the first one. Um, and it kind of... Is it me or does it feel like they're playing a little bit better or maybe more than a little bit better away from the park than at home in the Champions League? Does anyone else have that impression? Yeah, they've, they've, certainly, I mean, they've certainly performed better if we look at mm. it. Um, but this, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure how to feel about this game because I guess they did play well, but I'm, I'm just... <laughs> uh, I think it was they definitely deserved the the win, but it was just a just a strange. I don't know how to describe. It's kind of a strange game to watch. Um, I think it's it's kind of annoying that Fred did get sent off, um, and it sort of downplayed what a a shocking. I, I can't really explain why the ref would give a yellow card. Any ideas? Oh, for the for for the second uh, yeah. yellow card. Oh my God! Yeah, it was oh, absolutely scandal. Well, <laughs> here's here's the here's the thing. I feel we need to go back like half an hour from from the game. Did you think it was the, the little little neck little header? Did you think that was a, a red card? Is that a red card in Thomas Wiseman's book? Yeah. Is no oh, I mean I, that's I, that's I, a standard. People st- always get red cards for that, but you can argue yeah. that it, it's strange. I mean, I think those are so stupid. Like, just, first of all, whenever two people kind of butt heads like that, I mean, I don't know what's going on through their heads, but they just look really dumb to me. Yeah. And <laughs> and it's it's not particularly violent. No. Um, but, but it's, but it's, it's always yeah. a red card. So it's I guess. It's intent yeah. behind the action, really, isn't it? Yeah. But the rep, when, and when you saw the replay, the referee just, I think he's already made his mind up before he even looks at the monitor because he, he literally walks up to it and Could sort be. of, yeah. And then just takes one glance and that, like, okay. And just comes back <laughs> out with the other card. So, um, but yeah, unbelievable was... that, that Ole didn't sub Fred off. Cause Fred was really, yeah. I mean, there were several situations where he was kind of getting into fisticuffs or whatever. And, mm. you know, Pogba was there. It was Pogba. <laughs> yeah. It was strange. Yeah, I think, it, some of the the way Ole played the 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 tactics, not bringing off Fred and and mm. not adjusting at the right time, sort of let PSG really take advantage. Especially when uh, Tuchel went went to a far at the back and and brought on um, I'm gonna say Melvin Bar, but it's not Melvin Bar. I keep getting confused between Backer, Michel Backer, mm. um, because I think they saw that that Rashford had an issue. He wasn't really, um, it wasn't as dangerous then. And then Backer just had so much free time. He had one or two chances where he could have had passed, had the ball played to him, um, and it really did eventually expose expose that that Man United uh, back line. So it's, it, it is good. It was good tactics and and um, in game management from Tuchel. But obviously, mm. if you're a Man United supporter, I saw quite a few of them were, were furious that they didn't react to Fred not being taken off and, or, you know, any changes. Which is exactly what Tuchel did with Paredes, right? Taking him off. Yeah. He was also getting into a lot of kind of 
arguing and, and fouling and so on, yeah. which mm-hmm. I kind of feel that he does very, very regularly. I mean, I I feel like his main contribution on the pitch is to kind of get into fights for others. <laughs> I once read a I once read a match report maybe about a year ago where they were describing Paredes as um, Neymar as bodyguard on the pitch, kind of. <laughs> if anybody fouls Neymar, then Paredes comes in and fouls that guy. I mean, and yeah, I think it's maybe, pretty accurate, yeah. Maybe that's a, a psychological tactic of if Paredes gets into arguments, maybe Verratti doesn't, so you save Verratti from getting his usual red card <laughs> for complaining. It's like at the start of the night, you have uh, Paredes and Verratti both sitting in front of you, and you can wind up one of them kind of like a, like a doll, like a, like a woody doll, and then the other one you have to just kind of let be chilling and goes the way through the match. Although the, the thing with um, the Fred thing and, you know, railing him up, because... Th- as much as he was flying in tackles, when you're getting skipped round by, you know, Neymar and Kane and and um, Mbappe, it does kind of it does kind of, of rail players up. And I think that's one of the mm-hmm. one of the one of the qualities of Neymar that doesn't does really get purpose. celebrated enough. Neymar oh, does 100%. it on purpose. 100%. We, we saw that with McTominay at the end of the first half because Neymar was going past him over and over again. And it was it was slightly silly. I mean, it was kind of the same move all the time. But sometimes it, it may have been Lindelof too. But I think at the end of the first half, McTominay started just, just pulling Neymar and, mm-hmm. and, and giving in to, you know, the frustration of that. But like as much as that is... You know, it depends how you look at football. You know, if you're from a very, if you see him as a, a gentleman sport and all this stuff, obviously you're not going to fancy that. But if if you look at, you know, I, I used to play Sunday league football <laughs> and it was like playing against 11 Neymars. That's what it was because people would wind you up. People were, would have nicks at you and they'd try and start fights and stuff like that. And that's kind of what it was. Um, and, and I think Neymar does that. And there's matches, you know, what was I think there was a match against Strasbourg a couple of years ago that was infamous yeah. and he kept, yeah, the cup kicked, game, kicked yeah. hell out of. Um, and then, you know, there was even like quotes after it saying, oh, yeah, that was like our game plan. I can't remember 100%, but I remember that happening. Yeah. And there was a match when, I'm, I'm not a Celtic fan, but it was a, it was a big game here where Barca, I think it was Barca, I don't think it was PSG. Or it might have been, I can't remember 100%. And they played against Celtic at Celtic Park. And it was a good game. I think, I think the the team that Neymar was playing for one, again, I can't remember if it was PSG or Barca, and there was a right-back playing for Celtic that day, and his name escapes me, but he was a young guy, that he didn't do much, and he completely riled up this right-back. Celtic fans will say that the right-back riled up Neymar, but, you know, there, there was a tussle going on the entire match, and, you know, and because of that, the guy may have thought, again, I can't remember the boy's, boy's name, but because of that, he was, you know, sometimes getting the better of Neymar and, and thinking that, oh, you know, I've just won it. You know, look at everyone cheering me on. But at the end of the day, they lost, they lost like 3-0 or something like that. So it doesn't matter if that right back who maybe went through Neymar a couple of times thinks, yeah, I, I got him riled up. He still lost the game. And sometimes that's what mm. Neymar does. He, he does rile players up into making mistakes or doing things that they that they wouldn't have otherwise. You know, how many times do you mm. see in a match where uh, a, a player will go right through a guy and then they'll have a little tussle, a guy will get carded, and then like three minutes later, the other guy will go right through the other guy and then it'll like be a little tussle. It happens so much and it makes players do stuff that they wouldn't otherwise do. And I just think that's a quality sometimes in Neymar that isn't really appreciated. Again, if you look at football in a very pure way, you won't like that, but... I don't know. I, th- I think the dark hearts, as they say, I don't think it's always <laughs> the worst thing, especially in a big European match. You know what I mean? It, it did right. It did rail up players. It got Fred sent off. It had McTominay going for challenges he probably shouldn't have, and then they won the match three one. You know what I mean? And and yeah. we saw that in a, in the last goal, the beautiful goal from really seen it, where mm. Neymar just skips in. Uh, from the right wing, he goes past like three players. He he, he sits down Maguire twice. Someone points out on Twitter because he sits him <laughs> down on the right wing, and then also sits him down on the line when he when he put it past him. But you know he was causing those guys, even though you might not know it, that whole mm. ninety minutes of going past him and railing up. Both I can't remember who it was again, but the players trying to go right through Neymar and they miss, and he'll just skip past you because that's the type of quality yeah. that he has. I just think it's something that isn't appreciated all the times, but I don't know what your guys' opinion are on that. You know, if it's maybe something that shouldn't be celebrated or should be. I think it's, it's just one of the characteristics that, that come up, comes yeah. with, with how Neymar plays really. It's, it's, it's kind of a, um, it can be childish sometimes, but it's really fun to watch when, <laughs> when it's not against your team, I guess. Um, <laughs> and it, it, I mean, it wasn't the, the best Neymar performance, but he still was, he still had really, I mean, brilliant, especially towards the end, he was he was phenomenal, and 
it always gets me thinking if he had some kind of work right what kind of i want to play him in like as a midfielder central midfielder because he'd be so <laughs> in, in transition he'd be ridiculously ridiculously good um but and, and i think this game showed again and we mentioned before but how important Verratti is to to the way PSG play because mm. he's so good under pressure he just doesn't lose the ball and he's and again he he because of how he plays he's he's so difficult to dispossess and he and it does annoy other players and and just the ability that when they give when they give Verratti the ball they just know no matter if there's two players pressing him he'll he'll some reason keep possession or or I'll beat the that pressure and I, it makes me think I think how old's Ratty now? 27, 28? Yeah, around that. It makes me wonder, you know, if he does stay, keep staying um seasons at PSG, who do they actually go and replace him with? Because that he's so important, um, especially in bigger games to the way they play. Uh, they can get away with it in, in the league sometimes, but especially in big games Ratty normally does does step up and sort of makes a mockery of um, other midfields. No, oh, 100%. But, like, Sorry, Pierre, Paul, and you go. Well, yeah, I was just thinking, I mean, one of the other characteristics of of PSG, and I think it applies especially to Neymar and Verratti, the two players we're talking about, is that they, you know, on a, when they really need to, like uh, against Man United when, you know, the qualification was on the line here, they needed to uh, get a result to, to stay in it. They step it up and they can perform very, very well and and be efficient and pull off that result. Mm-hmm. But um, you know we've observed it in many times and in this Champions League campaign it's been the same thing that they're not always playing at this level and yeah there's a form of um, it, it's kind of nonchalance really just uh, they they take it easy a lot of the time and and we know how good they can be um, and that's you know you mentioned Verratti who's been around forever at PSG now and he's always kind of had this thing and some and you know obviously it was a good day here but on mm-hmm. the bad days you see the same mistakes over and over uh, even throughout the years um so you know we know that's kind of where PSG needs to improve um because they can pull these results off uh, like like you know the the other night yes last night but uh yeah it was it was i think it we haven't seen this kind of team performance from PSG, at least um, not this season, I don't think, in a in Champions League game. Because I'm mm-hmm. just thinking of, yeah. you know, we play on the day. I was worried about Diallo on the left hand side, but he was he was really good tracking back and and sort of keeping the, his shape well. Florenzi, some of the deliveries from Florenzi was brilliant. Um, the stuff he was putting into the box. Yeah, Florenzi. Um, I mean, incredible technique, and even his. Yeah. You know, he took a few shots which were just wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And He's like a winger. It's a, it's great to see that Marquinhos has fully stepped into that role as captain and replacement for Thiago mm. Silva because he's always he just ne- he he just it's always a good performance from him. Um, and he's so reliable. And he's so he's such a tough player to to play against as a as a striker. Mm. And he's just you know he's definitely um, perfect for that for that captain role for PSG. And it's him players like him and. Verratti and, and a name out that really make the difference. Um, and obviously PSG get a lot of people talk about PSG's attack and all you know the hundreds of millions spent on um, Neymar and Mbappe. But Marquinhos has been such a phenomenal player for for many years now, and I don't think he really gets the credit um, sometimes. Yeah, I think looking back at this game and whatnot, and the kind of the wake of it since it's happened, I feel like it was. I don't know, but I just felt like it was a massive match, just generally for a lot of a lot of people and a lot of things, a lot of entities. You know, it's a massive game for PSG. Obviously, it's a massive game for Tuchel, and you can kind of look at this game in, in the way of it almost being like a character study. You can look at Neymar and go, okay, you know, he turned up today. So much has been said. So much is always said, not necessarily about his quality, but just like who are you gonna get? You know, especially obviously over here. I'm only ever consuming like British media about it, and the Brit- British media hate Neymar. It's just a thing; they absolutely despise him. <laughs> it, it's it honestly like I, I you can't get a, a and I understand why. Like I understand why. I'm not necessarily saying they're wrong, but it's just they completely hate them. And then he turns off and he does that. And, and I was I was wondering, how do you think? How do, how do you think he'll kind of be remembered when we look back at him in 20 years? You know, what type of player will we look back at him as? 
you know, is he going to be that guy that had, you know, came along from Santos, so scored that amazing goal, went to Barca, apparently wasn't the main man there, went to PSG, and then, you know, all the all the opinions start coming out of that. But, but Pierre Paul, how do you think we'll look back at him in a couple of years when he, when he does, in like, say, 20 years when he's retired and he's old and, and he's just a, he's a guy in the history books, he's just numbers to, you know, the next generation and never really watched him? Will people go in and say, oh, he had these personality issues or not issues, but, you know, it had these qualities. Um, but he also had this fantastic ability to completely change a match. You know, how do you think he will be remembered? Do you think it will be in a negative sense or a, or a positive sense, looking back on it? I mean, I normally would have no idea how to answer this, but I was actually a little bit thinking about it um, after all the reactions to Maradona's death um, the other day, because I was, I, I was quite stunned by just the sheer impact that he seemed to have had on so many people. I mean, yeah, obviously we all knew Maradona, but I think for people in my generation, I've, I feel like maybe I underestimated even just how important he was and all the pictures where he was, all these pictures of him with other people where they were just so joyful to be with him and he was just joyful all the time as well. And I was thinking along those lines with Neymar, you know, um, he has done pretty incredible stuff on a football pitch you know um i don't know if it's it, well it's probably less than maradona yeah because he hasn't kind of single-handedly won a world cup or anything but um you know the the moments he can create are quite stunning and i was thinking as well that you know psg fans can i mean it's weird because there was there were moments like last year right when psg fans were were, were, you know, super anti-Neymar and wanted him to leave the club because he had said a few silly things or whatever. But whatever happens, they will remember him with, with you know, they will, they will adore him for a very, very long time, um, I think. And uh, it also depends on just how far they can make it in this Champions League. If Neymar can help them actually finally win it, um, that it, it'll, it'll be at another level. Yeah, he's uh, basically for, permanent, permanently fixed yeah. then as as a a Parisian legend, pretty much. Yeah. Oh, the whole team. If they if they won the Champions League, the whole team is just immortalized. Tilo Kerr, get him a statue. You know, any, <laughs> any Danilo Pereira, I'll get a tattoo of him. You know what I mean? Like all these guys. The fact that if they win, ex Angers goalkeeper Alexander Letelier will get a Champions League medal. <laughs> <laughs> That's my first Angers, uh, you know. Was he on the bench for this one? Uh, yeah. He, he was, yes. Yeah, so he, he's qualified, you know. He's made, he's made a performance now. I'm sure hope other Angers like... players have won the Champions League. What about Raymond Coppa? <laughs> uh, yeah, he won it with Real Madrid, didn't he? Well, yeah. The Champions League, but yeah. It's a, it's a little while back, but well, maybe another yeah. someone else in between I as think, well. I think, yeah. <laughs> Letelier is... Uh... <laughs> yeah, we'll just move on from that. An, an unexpected hero, <laughs> yeah. possibly. <laughs> Maybe. Let's Maybe. call it an, este- an esteemed list. A short but esteemed <laughs> list. We'll, we'll go with that. But yeah, that, this one finishing 3-1 for PSG away to Manchester United. A massive game for, for PSG. And now they just need a point in their next game as they host the Turkish team Basishke here. Um, if they can get a point out of that game, they will qualify for the next stage of the Champions League. Obviously, they'll be looking to win it, you know, get them potentially finishing uh, top of the group, although that will be a, a, a tough ask. Um, I think it'll, it'll depend on other results and whatnot, but a massive result anyway for, for PSG, for a lot of the, of the people attributed to the club. And obviously, as, as was said here, a lot of the players on the pitch as well. It was a massive game for them. Another massive game we'll go into now was Olympique de Marseille against Olympiacos. You know, so much has been said about this campaign, this Champions League campaign for Marseille. Uh, if, if you hadn't heard, if you've been sleeping under a rock, they broke the record for the most consecutive defeats in the Champions League. 13 consecutive defeats, breaking the record by, uh, I want to say Porto, but I don't know, it was of, of ages ago, essentially. And they came into this game not wanting to extend that record and, you know, make them the guys who you look back on in years to come saying, oh, God, that was the team that went in that massive run. They finally got a win. They finally got a win. 2-1, hosting the Greek side Olympiakos. Dimitri Paye with both goals, uh, cancelling out Maddy Kamara's 
opener for the Greek side. And Thomas, how much of a boost will that be mentally more than anything for the team that they managed to just stop that rock, calm everything down? I mean, I think you kind of saw that in the reactions after the two penalties that Pai did score, especially the second one. Yeah, I think, I mean, they've already, they've already sort of wrote off the Champions League um, for a few weeks now, but just to get that, you know, to stop that run from happening, from continuing and and even though it was you know it was two penalties they, they still got that win and it should do them um a lot of confidence and and you know at least for for Marseille fans hoping that they they um come in go back into the to, to league on and and um continue that sort of good 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 form they've been keeping up because they've I mean they, they are in a good position in the in the league but their performances have left quite a lot to be desired at the moment. Um, so hopefully, you know, at least getting this, although they are playing against Manchester City next week, so that might just bring them back down. <laughs> I don't know how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be a tough ask if, if they do want to, but they are still in with a chance. There is a chance of a Europa League uh, qualification for the knockout stages, but if they want to do that, it's going to take a, a massive. Is it away in Manchester? It is, I think so. It is away, yeah. Um, it is away, yes, um, to Manchester City. Pierre Paul, that's going to be a, an absolute massive game. Do you think they've got the. I mean, like I said, a lot of other things and other matches have got to go their way for that to happen, for them to get into the Europa League. But do you think they've got the quality to go away to Manchester City and get something? Or at the moment, with the way that Marseille is, with you know so many people talk about the financial situation and with the mental situation, do you think it's just a write-off? Do you think it's not possible for them to even get something from there? Uh, well, I mean, before I get to their actual quality, I think... It would morally would be like a robbery if they made it <laughs> after <laughs> such a disastrous campaign, um, <laughs> where they kind of brought shame to Liga. If uh, I think uh, they, even they would accept with that, I mean, uh, accept that description. But you know, who knows? City are through. Maybe they'll play a B team or something, and uh, and I, I guess Marseille can make it. And if it doesn't, in, in the end, it doesn't matter what order you get the points in. If you get enough points to make it to the Europa League, yeah, I think it'll, it'll count. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, City haven't been invincible this season. They've, they've certainly no, been, yeah. shown weaknesses. And I think maybe if Marseille pretend they're playing against PSG, in the <laughs> they bring that kind of energy to it. You never know. <laughs> I think this, this Marseille side, it's a point that I want to bring up a little bit later about Lille. Um, talking about their kind of because when Lille had the Champions League campaign last season they bombed out of it you know they were getting beat by Ajax and Chelsea did they have in their group I'm trying to think last year yeah you know they were were getting beat off a a lot of teams it wasn't that impressive but then I don't want to spoil but they've they've, in this campaign in the Europa League a little bit of a step down you know it's a young team but they've progressed a lot better and I just I'm just wondering do you think this Champions League campaign for Marseille as much as it was great to get back into Europe and everything and you know make that name again this famous Marseille side the only French side to ever win the tournament (laughs) um but do you think it's come a bit early for the squad you know we we never thought they were going to win it we never thought they were going to go and win the group and whatnot but do you think just generally with the with the results that they've had defeats to Olympiacos defeats to Porto defeats to City um Pierre Paul did this just show that it's just came a bit early but because if it has come a bit early should we be too pessimistic about it what's your opinion on that I mean, it's been seven or eight years since their last no, campaign. No, but this, about time. For, for this team, I mean, the squad. Yeah, I hear you. But, I mean, I think a lot of these players have been here for a while now. And, and you know, they probably should have been been in there, uh, up there in those Champions League spots before even now. Uh, you know, I think Marseille have been underperforming for a few years in this squad included. And, and they should have done better in this campaign. They have quality players. Um, and I mean, I was, yeah, I have to say I was really, really disappointed by, you know, the fact that they'd even score a goal in the first four matches. Um, Still haven't scored from open play. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) And I thought, you know, at the the start of the season, I was uh, saying on the podcast that, uh, well, I thought that the fact that France had not started 
you know, not restarted the league and that taken a full summer break and a full preparation, I thought that would give French teams a comparative advantage in in European Cups. And that hasn't exactly turned out to be true for whatever reason. And uh, yeah, it's it's disappointing from 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 Marseille. I, I don't really know what else to say about them, to be honest. I know, I, know. I, I think so many people have just been... I mean, there was so much excitement about this campaign, and I think it's just been kind of the exchange it for disillusionment with mm. what's happened. You know, I, I think sometimes teams get into these competitions, and I don't really, I don't want to be too harsh on Marseille because they did so well last season. Um, but I think sometimes you see teams get into this tournament in the Champions League, you know, the elite competition, and they just look of a diff of a lower quality. I think, you know, it's it's not that they lost this game, they were unlucky there. I think Marseille at times, you know, matches against Olympiacos, matches against Porto, I know they eventually bit Mar- Olympiacos there, but you know, the, the other leg and the defeats to Porto, Porto's a good mm. side, but they hardly put up a they hardly put up a match against them. You know, it was what was it three nil against Porto or two nil rather against Porto, then three nil in the in the home leg and the away leg. I just think they looked very much off the pace in a lot of these games. And I think yeah. because of that, you've got to remember it's only Villas Boas' second season in charge of the club and he has had issues with with the transfers and whatnot. You know, he even said recently that, that signing Luis Enrique, uh, the young Brazilian attacker, was a mistake. <laughs> Uh, yeah, which I, saw, I don't know I what well. that does for a player's <laughs> confidence. My God, he, he outright <laughs> said that signing Enrique, who they must have thought he was a, a number nine or something, because he said he, he they, were, they were lacking a number nine. So that I'm sure Benedetto would be happy to see that. But I mean, and we then, knew that. Like but, I remember doing a well, show they, at the start of the season just before they signed him, and I had read reports saying he's not exactly number nine, and we talked about that. So, so and and they signed him for what? <laughs> 12 million euros yeah, and he yes. didn't know he was a number nine that that is the i'm not i'm not i don't even know how to process the fact that they didn't know what position they played and they did they sign they didn't sign him at the end of like the last day of the transfer it wasn't a panic signing was it no uh, it was kind of close to that i think yeah. <laughs> but I, i'm so confused they spent that much especially when they don't they don't have that much money to spend and they spent 12 million on a player they thought was a number nine Turns out he's not a number nine, and he he just comes out in a press conference and completely admits it. Absolutely <laughs> crazy! I cannot believe that. And also, can I just say? Yeah, go on. Um, on Villas Boas, I mean, this is. I just want to say this for purely cathartic reasons, but <laughs> I made uh, I made a very strong effort all through last season to, uh, you know, ignore my cre- my preconceptions I had of Villas Boas based on his time at Chelsea and at at Tottenham. Obviously, two teams that are absolutely nowhere near my heart, um, and where he and where he thoroughly underperformed, and uh, you know it looked like well he you know I can't take it away from him. They had a very good first season under him, and he he clearly did some very good work. But uh, you know the prejudice which was unfairly which I unfairly wanted to apply to him previously, I can now uh, slightly hypocritically. Uh, apply and uh, <laughs> there you go. Oh my God, how mean! I'm, I'm going to move you yeah, on. I'm going to keep kicking him while he's down. The guy, have you seen him these days? Honestly, he looks dejected as anything. Um, but yeah, a, a big win for Marseille. Never, um, nevertheless, two-one beating Olympiacos again, just creaking open the door that they could maybe get into the Europa League. Although it will be, it would be an absolute miracle if they could do it. You know, having lost their first four games. Of the campaign, I don't think that that would have. I need to look back at the history books. I don't know if that's ever been done before. Losing the first four, then qualifying for the Europa. Uh, but yeah, still a massive game for Marseille. Okay, our next match of the podcast is Lille versus Sparta Praha. You know they got a two-one win in this one, but it wasn't as simple as it sounds. Sparta Praha eventually went down to 10 men and then their player Krejci got a goal to put them 1-0 up, which seemed insane because Lille only needed a draw from this game to go through. So, you know, the sirens are, are ringing, the GFFN Twitter page is panicking, everyone's ripping them. And then <laughs> who come on? Who comes onto the pitch? Burak Yilmaz. You know the guy, big Turkish, 36 years old, I think, <laughs> something like that. Two goals. Thomas, talk about talk to me about the second 
finished, the second goal's finished, was it? Where he just goes through and bang, spanks it in the side net into the far right corner. How, how exemplary has he been since coming to the club? You know, when other players have been, we've said it so many times, but when other players have been misfiring, he always seems to fire, doesn't he, Thomas? Yeah, I mean, what a signing he's been so far. Um, that that second goal sort of sums up um, how well he's performed. He's just so confident, hits it first time, and keeper's not got a chance at all. Um, especially when you've got, you know, Jonathan David, who's fanned his feet and, and struggled. He had one or two. I remember seeing they had a chance on the counter-attack when there was three versus two, and he gets played through, and he just has a really, really heavy touch. And there was other times when... Just in the box, he's just not able to sort of manoeuvre himself or have a, a quick enough touch to to release it and, and try and score. But you know, with Yelmaz, he's such a and as I think we saw um, last weekend, I can't remember who they were playing, but the assist he got for ooh, I can't remember who it was now, but um, it just shows that he's not only just a goal scorer, but he he's able to bring in other players into the game and he's such a such a good player for them at the moment and. And uh, Galtier must really love it having having somebody with um, you know such good form for them. I mean, that's he's the thing. Like, room. yeah, he is. <laughs> he is. Yeah. The thing is, see when see when you look at clubs, especially a club like Lille, and this is just kind of off my own opinion usually. But whenever I see mm-hmm. a team saying a guy over, especially the, like ages like thirty four, thirty five, I think, oh god, why are they doing that? What's the point? And like, what, what are you going to get out of that? You're going nothing like long term. But sometimes I think I think Buda Yilmaz's transfers taught me something because I think sometimes just getting a guy in who's going to be like adaption period, never heard of it, mate. There's a hat trick. See you later. <laughs> he's just going to come in and get it done. You know what I mean? I I, I think he's generally still like thirty six. I'll look this up. But he's he's old and he's he's one of these guys that. I'd only ever heard loads about, you know, he's played a lot of Turkish football and whatnot, but I was I was already, I was new about Burek Yelmaz, but then just actually seeing him, he's 35, seeing him in the flesh, mm. just coming in and scoring goals, I think he's just been so, so, he's, you could almost say he's been their like most pivotal player this season in terms player, of like yeah. when he's come up and when, and when he's uh, done things, you yeah. know, it, it, it just, yeah. Because Lille do struggle sometimes because they do sign so many young players, guys who aren't at their peak yet. They can always have that inconsistency. But Burek Yelmaz doesn't have inconsistency, does he? <laughs> he scored some very important goals, yeah. Yeah, for Very sure. important. And, you know, we, we've said so much about French teams that have disappointed in Europe this season. But Pierre-Paul, Lille, they came in, you know, they had some touchy moments, but eventually they got through and they're going through to the next stage of the Europa League. What would you make of their campaign so far in the Europa League? You know, it has been impressive when other French teams have been faltering, hasn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you know, fans of French football certainly like to complain about how bad we are in European competitions and I felt a little bit tempted to go along that line when a 10-man Sparta Prague scored the first goal against Lille in Lille uh, but it's a good thing Yilmaz was there to turn it around and I think overall you know we complained but Lille has had a, a, a very impressive campaign um, it's you know we were talking about this group at the start of the season saying it was going to be one of the most difficult ones in, in Europa League a, a very impressive group and and Lille have you know, have pulled up, have gotten some wonderful results. The win at San Siro was, you know, something to behold. And uh, to see them top of the group right now is 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 terrific news. Um, and uh, and you know, it's, it's it'll be interesting to see them in the knockout rounds because I, from memory, I don't think uh, I don't I don't remember Lille playing in knockout rounds any time in the past decade. Mm. I know it's going to be see how they can how they cope with that kind of yeah you know without what if you lose one game you're out type of thing you know but but I think them taking four points off of Milan top of Serie A just shows mm. a lot of quality as well you know so much so much crap gets thrown at the French league uh, <laughs> whereas the Italian league is kind of held up oh still amazing 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 and you know it's good but to show that Lille can go and go there and, and just kind of breeze past Milan even though they had Zlatan. In the San Siro game, you know, people say, oh, there wasn't Zlatan for the other game. But that doesn't matter. You know, they still they still uh, showed that quality there. So I think it just shows a lot of, of what Lille have this season, you know. And a lot has to be said about Christoph Galti and whatnot. But everything yeah. that him and his boys have 
produced this season has been fantastic. And I really do wish the uh, best for them when they get their Europa League games next and the knockout stage will be very exciting. Uh, let's move on to our next match. This was Stade René. You know, we've said a lot about Rennes in terms of where are they? You know, where are they in terms of their development as a team, you know, under Julien Stefan? You know, where are they? Where's this team? Are they towards the end of a cycle? Are they start of a cycle? When are they going to start delivering? And we've seen bits of it here and there, you know, in the game uh, at home, I believe it was, to Krasnodar. They were so impressive, but couldn't really get anything out of that. The 2-1 defeat to Chelsea, they were so, so good, but just fell up short, you know, and then they had other games where they showed quality, but never really got anything out of this. This one was, yeah, again, another disappointing result, if anything, a 1-0 defeat to Krasnodar uh, and you could say that they maybe dominated in the last fixture but this one wasn't really one of those and they've now only scored two goals in this Europa League campaign in five matches Champions League in the, sorry in the Champions League my bad um, in the, that just says what I think of Ren doesn't it <laughs> um, <laughs> in, the, in the Champions League this year you know they've only scored two goals they really haven't been able to get off the ground with that and do you think Pierre Paul injury problems have kind of held them back in that way because Mbane Yang had a bad injury just towards the start of this campaign, didn't he? Um, and then they had to play mm-hmm. other players. Serhu Gorassi came in, Adrian Anu came in, but no one could really get going. And we, Mbane, Mbane Yang so many times last season showed his quality, but do you think it was just unlucky that he hasn't really been able to deliver as much this time round in this campaign just because of injury problems? I think he's only played in two games and started none in this campaign so far. Well, Girassi did get a couple goals, which um, I was did. impressed to see. Um, I wasn't exactly expecting him to, to kind of match that level right away. But yeah, obviously, you know, missing players, players important players like Nyang is, is going to hurt them. Um, I think, you know, you asked me the question on Marseille about whether that squad was maybe not so ready for Champions League. Um, and it, it's odd because... I was expecting Rennes to do better than Marseille in the Champions League, which I guess they maybe marginally have done. I mean, they, they yeah they have five points, so they have you know they have done better than Marseille. Um, but oddly, the thing is, you know, this is a squad which was much less ready and much less experienced of Champions League, and the club as a whole didn't really have that kind of, you know, there's no institutional memory or anything of of playing at this level it was their first campaign ever so you can i think it's more forgivable for for them to find it difficult um we maybe could have expected a little bit better but but um you know it's it's definitely tough tough time to get your first run in the champs league and uh yeah i don't know you know you're saying is this the kind of are they in a decline here with Stefan? I'm not convinced yet that we can say that's the case. I think they have a really strong squad, and um, you know maybe maybe now that they don't have this kind of novelty of the Champions League, they can try to pick it up in Ligue 1, and uh, and uh, I'd still count on them for the later half of this season. Mm-hmm. 100%. Before we move on to the next match, Thomas, what have you made of Kamavinga's opportunity and, and how is he taking it this year in the Champions League? You know, he's a player that has dazzled Ligue 1 ever since he kind of stepped on the pitch, showing so much quality between being 16 years old, 17 years old. I believe he just recently turned 18 Um He's been linked with some of the biggest clubs. And for the first time of, of many people who don't watch French football, this was really his first opportunity to be seen. And, and I just want, want to get your opinion of how, how what, have he, what he's made of the opportunity, this opportunity in the limelight, Thomas, to play against big teams, Krasnodar, Chelsea. And, and has he made the most of it? Or has his youth maybe shown just a bit in this, you know, on the, on the grandest stage in world football, I guess, Thomas? Yeah, it's a difficult one, obviously, because he's such a young player, and and I don't think, I really don't think he's been in, in any good form for at least a month or so now, and he, he, he I mean, I, I don't, I'm not sure, but he's, um, the way he's set up in that team now, I don't really, I, I prefer what in Camavinga sitting slightly deep because the. The thing is now with Nzonzi sitting as that that 
pivot, um, it pushes, it has Camavinga further up the pitch and he's not able to, the, the, what I think of Camavinga is, you know, a player that's really great at picking up the ball up from the defence and, and driving and really so good in the transition that sometimes he just doesn't have that the sort of the time on the ball to do that, especially in the Champions League's, uh, Champions League fixtures. Um, but, I mean, he's only 18, so he's got so much potential ahead of him. And, uh, you know, he, there's there's other players in that Ren team that you'd expect should be stepping up um, and you shouldn't really be relying on an 18-year-old to to um, sort of be the forefront of your your attack or or sort of the, the star of your team uh, every game. I mean, there's still so much to be seen from Camavinga. Like I said, he's still in the mm-hmm. 18. He's been playing relatively consistently since he was 16. I believe he started training with the first team when he was 15. You know, it was, when you when you speak of a player like this, and he's already played almost, I think, 50 league matches, and he's still in his teens. You know, that says a lot about his quality and how he's going to be pretty much a staple of this Ren side until he leaves the club, which is just so impressive. But there is still a lot to be seen from the boy. You know, there's sometimes you have to remember him. He's, he's still very young just very very young mm-hmm. there's just a lot to uh, be seen from them. but unfortunately with these results Ren are done and dusted in the Champions League it's, it's been a tough one but you know they, they've showed their quality but hopefully if they can get into it next year or get into Europe next year they can maybe just approach it with a different light you know I think it was Pierre Paul you said about that novelty they won't have that novelty next year they can actually approach it as a team that deserves to be there as opposed to someone who's just making up the numbers maybe, you know, with it being such a, a massive year for them with them qualifying for it. But yeah, like I said, there's still a lot to be said from Ren, but unfortunately we didn't see it in this game. Our last match of the podcast was, yet again, another defeat for a French side. Nice <laughs> hosting Bayer Leverkusen. It finished 3-2 to the away side, the Germans, with Diaby, Dragovic and Baumgartlinger getting the goals, cancelling out the ones for Hassan Kamara and Dan Indoy. Uh, Thomas, you said it before we started recording, you know, I feel like every time we just come on and say how <laughs> difficult it is right now for Patrick Vieira, and you've said a lot about it, so I'll bring in someone who's not been on the podcast for a while, Pierre, Pierre Paul. What's your opinion on, on Vieira right now then? Are, are you in the camp where he should just get sacked and, and chucked out the city, or do you have a bit more patience for him? Um, well, uh, I think a lot of a lot of us at GFFN are not too enthusiastic about Vieira, and and that's been the case for a while. Personally, um, you know, it's a little bit difficult for me to criticize someone who was an invincible and the captain of my club. <laughs> um, I, I mean, this is what his third season, I think, for Nice, and they haven't. I mean, it's true they haven't uh, improved a whole lot during that time, but it's not like they've been too terrible i mean they're not the most fun team to watch um and they probably should be better with the players they have um but yeah i I don't think he's a bad manager but but i agree there's definitely room for improvement um tonight was a was a quite an entertaining match as was the uh the first leg against leverkusen which was i think a a 6-2 and there were (laughs) (laughs) there were similar elements from from uh, between this match and 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 the first leg, um, Leverkusen scored scored a very good goal this time with uh, with Musa Diaby, who well the best part was the pass really kind of lobbed pass. Um, I'm not sure who, who gave him the ball, but it, it, it was really nice. And then so it was a combination of good goals and then bad defending too. Uh, in particular on the second goal that Leverkusen scored, in which uh, Dragovic was absolutely unmarked in the box and the ball just falls to his feet from a corner, which should never really happen. And, and the, the guilty man there was Dan and who just, uh, I don't know what he was thinking, but kind of stepped away from, from him and when he sh- should have been there, but then he, he also scored. Uh, so I guess it kind of made up for it, uh, even though they still lost. And then I was also very glad to see a goal from Hassan Kamara, who yeah. I'm a big fan of. Um, what a great and, goal as well. Yeah. Pretty good. <laughs> he got it with the side of his foot, I think, right? Which is very, yeah. very Hassan Kamara to, <laughs> to hit it that way. It was a strange place to hit it that way from, but it still worked. And, you know, Nice are not always the most fun team to watch, but this was uh, an entertaining one for sure. 
And uh, whereas the 6-2, I thought, was a little bit severe on Nice because there was a lot of slightly fluky goals. Um, you know, Leverkusen probably deserved to score another goal or two uh, tonight, I think. Yeah. I know, the, the game did kind of lose steam, I guess, in the second half, but there's still a lot to be desired, I guess, mm-hmm. from this. There's just, it's a lot to be desired. You know, there's been a lot of investment put into the team, and, and you can bet your bottom dollar that more investment is going to be put into the team. But at the moment, you know, a lot of the guys that they've signed, there's still to see loads from the players that have been brought in, you know, Jordan Lotomba, you could even say Alexis Claude Maurice, um, Jeff mm. Rennie at Adelaide, of course not Thomas, don't worry, he was fantastic tonight. <laughs> um, but, you know, the other guys that they've brought in, you just, you just still to be seeing a lot of it, even though, even Dan and Doy as well, you know, got his first goal tonight, but haven't seen Lowe's, Flavius Daniluk in from Bayern Munich, you know, you know, it is a team in, in transition, which I think a lot of the French teams are right now. There's a lot of teams in transition who maybe sacked manager two years ago or whatnot or, or got bought over a lot of investment. And in. I don't think you can always look at a team right now and go, oh, they're awful. Therefore, everything must be awful. You know, it is a spectrum sometimes. Teams are on the on the progress to something. You know, you can look at some of the best teams over the last 10 years in different countries and find times when they were at their lowest. But then a year later, they were lifting trophies and whatnot. Not that no, I say Nice are going to go and win league in, but you know Win what the I mean. league, yes. <laughs> you heard it here first. Um, no, but it is a, it is a, a progress. It is a, it is a, it's, a, it's a real development that has to happen. And I think... Maybe Nice are in that at the moment. Although five defeats in their last five games, ultras blocking the bus on the way to the stadium, it doesn't look too uh, it doesn't look too nice in Nice, you could say, at the moment. <laughs> and I think with that awful pun, which my dad would come up with, I will wrap it up there. <laughs> uh, I've been joined by Thomas Wiseman and Pierre Paul Birmingham. If you're looking for more information on all things French football in English, you can check it out at the website at getfootballnewsfrance.com or you can also catch us on Twitter, getting abuse at GFFN. Uh, once again, I've been Lewis McParlin. Thank you very much for spending your time listening to this podcast and we'll catch you in the next one. See you later.